This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of the medial parapatellar approach to the knee from the approaches section on orthobullets.com. So as a quick introduction, the medial parapatellar approach to the knee provides exposure to most structures of the anterior aspect of the knee. Indications include total knee arthroplasty, synovectomy, open medial meniscectomy, open removal of loose bodies, open ligamentous reconstructions, patelectomy, IND of the knee, as well as ORIF of distal femoral fractures with a medial plate. Relative contraindications to the medial parapatellar approach to the knee include previous utilization of a lateral parapatellar arthrotomy. Variations of the medial parapatellar approach to the knee include the mid-vastus approach and the subvastus or southern approach, which we'll talk more about in a moment. In terms of preparation, anesthesia for the medial parapatellar approach to the knee is typically spinal, epidural, sciatic, and or femoral blocks. Positioning is supine, and you will tape a sandbag under the hip to internally rotate the leg. You will also use a tourniquet for this approach. So now let's talk about the approach. In terms of the incision, your landmark will be to palpate the midline of the patella in line to the tibial tubercle. You will then make a midline longitudinal incision. Begin 5 centimeters above the superior pole of the patella, extending to the level of the tibial tubercle, and a curved or straight incision can be used and can be done with the knee flexed. Moving on to the superficial dissection, you will divide the subcutaneous tissues below the skin incision. You will then deepen the dissection between the vastus medialis and the quadriceps tendon. You will then develop a medial skin flap to expose the quadriceps tendon, medial border of the patella, and the medial border of the patellar tendon. Then you will perform a medial parapatellar arthrotomy. Take care not to damage the anterior insertion of the medial meniscus. However, of course, this is irrelevant for a total knee arthroplasty. Finally, you will retract or excise the infrapatellar fat pad. Moving on to the deep dissection, you will dislocate the patella and flip laterally. You will protect the insertion of the patellar tendon on the tibia, and if it's difficult to flip the patella, then you can extend the incision between the rectus femoris and the vastus medialis proximally. If the contractures continue to prevent dislocation of the patella, you can detach the tibial tuberosity bone block and reattach afterwards with a screw. Finally, you can flex the knee to 90 degrees to gain exposure to the entire knee joint. In terms of extension, proximally, you may extend to the distal two-thirds of the femur. You can incise between the rectus femoris and the vastus medialis and split the underlying vastus intermedius to expose the femur. Variations of the medial parapatellar approach to the knee include the mid-vastus approach and the subvastus or the southern parapatellar approach. So for the mid-vastus approach, the proximal portion of the arthrotomy extends into the muscle belly of the vastus medialis. The patella can be difficult to evert and is subluxated laterally instead. In terms of the subvastus or southern parapatellar approach, the muscle belly of the vastus medialis is lifted off the intramuscular septum. The patella can be difficult to evert and is subluxated laterally instead. Benefits include preserving the blood supply to the patella and preserving the anatomy of the quadriceps tendon, which maintains the stability of the knee. Some dangers of the medial parapatellar approach to the knee include the superior lateral genicular artery, the infrapatellar branch of the saphenous nerves, and skin necrosis. So in terms of the superior lateral genicular artery, this is at risk during lateral retinacular release. This may be the last remaining blood supply after the medial parapatellar approach and fat pad excision. In terms of the infrapatellar branch of the saphenous nerves, the saphenous nerve becomes subcutaneous on the medial aspect of the knee after piercing the fascia between the sartorius and the gracilis. 
The saphenous nerve then gives off the infrapatellar branch that provides sensory innervation to the anteromedial aspect of the knee. Injury can lead to postoperative neuroma. If cut during surgery, you should resect it and bury the end to decrease the chance of a painful neuroma. Finally, in terms of skin necrosis, cutaneous blood supply may be tenuous in cases of previous surgery, for example, revision TKA, or a poor host, for example, in the setting of rheumatoid arthritis. Remember that the skin is supplied by perforating arteries which run in the muscular fascia or any medial or lateral skin flaps, if needed. Remember that the skin is supplied by perforating arteries which run in the muscular fascia, so any medial or lateral skin flaps, if needed, should be just below and deep to the fascia to avoid skin necrosis. Old incisions should, as best as possible, be crossed at 90 degrees. Parallel longitudinal incisions are problematic, so maximizing the skin bridge is important. 5 to 6 centimeters is recommended clinically. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, During a total knee arthroplasty using a standard medial parapatellar approach, if a lateral parapatellar release is required, special attention should be made to preserve which of the following arteries? And the choices are 1. Superior lateral genicular, 2. Inferior lateral genicular, 3. Anterior recurrent tibial, 4. Middle genicular, and 5. Descending branch of the lateral femoral circumflex. The correct answer to this question is 1. Superior lateral genicular. So the superior lateral genicular artery is the one at greatest risk with the lateral release of the patella. After a standard medial power patellar approach to the knee with excision of the fat pad and lateral meniscus, the superior lateral genicular artery is likely the only remaining blood supply to the patella. The review article by Kelly emphasizes that the superior lateral genicular artery should be preserved when possible with the release as it may be the last extraosseous blood supply to the patella. Resurfacing of the patella further decreases blood supply to the patella by damaging the intraosseous blood supply of the patella. And moving on to the final question. During the medial parapatellar approach to the knee, most of the arterial supply to the patella is divided. What artery is at risk if a lateral retinacular release is performed? And the choices are 1. Anterior tibial recurrent, 2. Lateral superior genicular, 3. Lateral inferior genicular, 4. Descending genicular, and 5. Medial superior genicular. The correct answer to this question is 2. Lateral superior genicular. So the approach to the knee for total knee arthroplasty can potentially compromise the patellar blood supply and lead to anterior knee pain, patellar osteonecrosis, and early failure of the patellar component. During the medial power patellar approach, the descending genicular, medial superior genicular, and medial inferior genicular are all compromised. Excising the fat pad will divide the anterior tibial recurrent artery and excision of the lateral meniscus frequently removes the lateral inferior genicular artery. This leaves only the lateral superior genicular, which is at risk if a lateral release is performed. A careful intraarticular lateral release with preservation of the synovium can preserve the vessel. That's all for this review about the medial parapatellar approach to the knee. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app, 
while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.